Alright, so I'm going to... Uh, I've cut it into a bit of my, my message time here. But um, I think it's important that when you hear God's voice, if you hear God's voice, that you share it or you listen because what God has, has given to you is for someone else. Unless it's for yourself. But God will give you something to share. He'll give you something to be able to encourage one another. It says in the Bible, do not be stingy with your encouragements. Do not be stingy with your encouragements. So, so I'm going to be uh, just moving into uh, a new message here. And what we've been doing is we've been going through the book of Romans. And if you don't know what the book of Romans is, it's a, it's a book written by a man named Paul. It's written to the Roman church. So it's called Romans because it is written to the church in Rome. Has anyone heard of Rome? Everyone's heard of Rome? Italia. Who speaks a bit of Italian here? Speak some Italian for us. No. Chocolate. Spaghetti. Yell out your Italian words to me. So cultured. All right, let's go to the next slide. Uh, we have, this is the book of Romans in, a, in a, a broken down illustrative form. And what we've done so far is we've gone from um, uh, Romans 1 three to, through to 320. Uh, so we've gone through the first three books of Romans so far. Do you feel good about yourself? We've just taken that three books of a, a book of the Bible, we've unpacked it and we've learned. Who feels good about themselves? So good. I feel good about myself. Turn to the person next to you and say, I feel good about myself. I feel good. Then turn to the other person and say, sit down, be humble. <laughs> Alright, so what we're going to be doing is we're going to go through 320 to 326, uh, 3 verse 26. Um, but like I was saying before, this is written to... Um, to Romans for the first time. It's, a, it's an introductory letter from Paul to the Roman church. So it's a very intellectual language. And, um, but what we've unpacked so far from Romans 1 to 3.20 is we've basically under, uh, almost deciphered that this is one of the most important books that uh, Paul is writing in the Bible. Or some scholars say that this is one of the most definitive books in unpacking the gospel or uh, stating the gospel within the Bible. And so outside of the gospel, the four gospel books itself. But Paul um, is writing to the epicenter of Rome because who's heard of the term that all roads lead to Rome? So that was literally what was going on the other day. I heard a Monty Python um, skit the other day as talking about, you know, what have the Romans done for us? Well, (laughs) Well, they gave us the aqueducts. Apart from the aqueducts, what have they given to us? Well, they gave us sanitation. All right, apart from aqueducts and sanitation, what have they given us? The roads. Apart, and so it goes on and on and on. And so at this point in time, Rome was really important, really influential in what was going on in the world. And so Paul's writing a letter to Rome. His language is purposeful, but it's inclusive of all people because it's supposed to unite the Jewish and the Gentile people. Jewish, uh, uh, Jewish people from the Jewish lineage legacy, Gentile uh, Gentiles are anyone who is not. So what's happened is there's a uh, there's a division. Let's see that. 
uh, <laughs> there's a division in the in the uh, the the Jew in the the church in Rome between the Jewish people and the Gentile people. And so what's happening is Paul's writing to basically say that um, there should be no divisions. No one is better than anyone else. We all need God. We all need salvation. Can someone come and grab my son? <laughs> 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 it's alright. Like we can. That's good, man. <laughs> so the earlier chapters from one to three twenty, they're not they're not particularly encouraging uh, because they're basically telling us about why we need God. Basically telling us about the depravity of sin and why sin is so bad and why um, basically that no person has been untainted and we all need redemption and restoration. So as we move into Romans 3.21, we are coming to discover how the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is applied to our life. So let's go to the screen. Who's with me? Who likes... The Bible. Me. Who likes this screen? Me. All right, so the, now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's probably one of the up there in the top 10 most famous verses of all time. It is, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. But, and are justified by his grace. So we need to read that part as well. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Say propitiation. Propitiation. Say it faster. Propitiation. Propitiation. One person. By his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Who likes that? Who thinks that sounds good? Some people, all right. I love this verse, and I was, I've been looking forward to getting to this part for a while because um, the first three verses were a bit of a slog. They were a bit hard. Um, and so again here, is, it's a lot nicer. It's a lot um, more encouraging uh, up front. Um, but it's... It is the Bible, it's truth. So let's, let's just break down verses 21 to 22. Because it says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Charlie Bear, big man. So first of all, the revelation of the righteousness of God. If we look at this, who, who likes unpacking like language and who likes looking at the structure of words? Yeah. If, we, if we just go straight away to the start of this, it says, but now. So what would you assume if someone says, but now? There's something that comes before it. There's something that came before it. There's something that we were talking about. It's almost like a therefore means that there's something it's therefore something. Therefore is therefore something. Mm. So, so, but now basically means that there's a something that we are butting. But now, but now. Have you ever 
Have you ever spoken to someone and, say, and they've been like, you this, that, uh, you ate my chocolate, but, and it's like, well, they're like, oh, I don't like it when you do this. I don't like it when you do this, but, la, la, la. I've just made those examples up there, but you might think of better, more um, comprehensive ones for it. But the word is a transition. So we've literally come to a point in the book of Romans where we are transitioning from one section to another section. So what we're going from is almost, I'll unpack this, we're almost going from the transition from something called the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. Old Covenant, but now New Covenant. So I'll unpack that as we go on. But it speaks, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So the but now is to the but to the law. The law, but now. And so what that means is that the, the but now speaks of the newness of God's work in Jesus Christ. It really is a new covenant. A covenant is... An agreement, a relational agreement. So, uh, say you get married. Congratulations, Toby and Aliyah, you got engaged. Yeah. yeah. So, it's it's a covenantal relationship in the eyes of God. It's a it's a almost like a legal thing. It's a legal language. If we have to understand that the Bible doesn't isn't all airy fairy language. They actually use like legal language. They use different words to get a point across. So what is happening here is we're going from the transition from old covenant, old relationship, the old way that men and women used to relate to God. We're moving into a new time, a new covenant with God. It says, apart, although the law, apart from the law, the law cannot save us, but God reveals a righteousness that will save us apart from the law. And this is effectively God's plan for salvation. I was telling someone before, if you want to sound smart, just um, the, stu- the study of salvation or the theology of salvation is called sot- soteriology. So if you're in a conversation, just drop uh, with someone about the Bible, just drop the word soteriology and just tell them that it's the theology of salvation. And they're going to be like, all right, this person must be right. I'm going <laughs> to adhere to whatever they say. But this is the essence of God's plan of soteriology. It's a salvation that is offered apart from the law, apart from our own earning and deserving, apart from our own merits. Do you, have you ever been given a gift or received something and you're kind of like, I don't know why I got this. It's like, I don't feel like I actually deserve this. Or maybe... Have you ever stolen money from your parents, a wallet, and then like uh, the next, later on that day, they're like, oh, here's your pocket money. And you're like, I don't deserve this. I don't think this is actually something that I should have. I've never done that, by the way. So what's happening here is what we have to look at, this, 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 this talk about law and righteousness. Because, but now... The righteousness of God. So righteousness of God is in almost in direct opposition to law. Mm. The righteousness of God. 
I don't know if you've ever heard of um, the word righteousness. We use it quite, um, I don't think we use it to its full extent. Um, but what we're seeing is through this verse, through Jesus Christ effectively, we go from the covenant of law to the covenant of righteousness, the covenant of grace. So this righteousness is not a novelty. Paul did not invent it. So if we say here, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, that means that this is not new news. This means that this righteousness of God has been around for a while, that the prophets and the uh, people have actually witnessed to it. The law itself, what we're even talking about, about the law, this thing that's in opposition to, the law testifies to it. So what we're saying is we're coming into a new age. We're coming into a new season, basically, a new time, a new existence as humanity. So apart from the law, it isn't the right apart from the law, this meaning, it isn't that the righteousness of God is revealed apart from the Old Testament, but it is revealed apart from the principle of law. It is part apart from a legal relationship to God based on the idea of earning and deserving merit before him. There's a, uh, there's a, a Greek word here. The Greek puts to the very front this great phrase, apart from law, chorus nomu, and this sets forth most strongly the altogether separateness of this divine righteousness from any law performance, any works of man whatsoever. God's righteousness is not offered up to us as something to take up the slack between our ability to keep the law and God's perfect standard. It is not given to supplement our own righteousness. It is given completely apart from our own attempted righteousness. So what does that mean? So who's ever like got 75% on a test? Who's ever, had, who's ever got a score on a test? All right, let's, let's just say. And then you're like, all right, to get 100%, I'll need 25%. Or I'll need the supplement. What this is basically saying here is that Grace, sorry, righteousness doesn't come and supplement your, your perfection. So say you got 75% in life, righteousness doesn't come and fill that, tw- that up to 100%, that 25%. Does that make sense? Righteousness is not something that is there to um, uh, complement your own effort. AKA, you can do nothing. You will do nothing. You will never be able to do uh, to a reference a time in your life where you were righteous enough to be acceptable in the sight of God. Righteousness is given by God as a gift. It's not given as a supplement. It's given as in its entirety to you. So imagine uh, another example. You've got a puzzle. And it's a 100-piece puzzle. You've got 25 pieces of that puzzle. God doesn't come and give you the 75%. He comes and gives you a brand new 100% puzzle. What does this, does this say that we then don't have to try and live a righteous life because his righteousness is just given to us for free as a gift? No, it, it basically means that we can receive it. We're perfect in the sight of God because of Jesus Christ. But what we have to do is we have to show others through the way that we live what it means to live a, a life worthy of God, a righteous life. So righteousness, turn to the person next to you and say righteousness. You're looking righteous. 
looking righteous today. Everyone needs righteousness, God's righteousness. Everyone has sinned. There's a, and this is a more important matter than anything else in someone's life. It, Jesus actually taught in the Bible to seek righteousness above all things. It says in Matthew 6, verses 31 to 33. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So how is this righteousness communicated to man? So it says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. So we'll just go to the first um, part there. Through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. You know, Paul told us that how his righteousness does not come. It does not come through the law. It does not come through trying to keep the law. Righteousness does not come from that through your own efforts. It does not come through the deeds of the law, but it comes apart from the law. So Paul is telling us that um, how the saving righteousness does come. And it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Who's um, got to have faith? Got to have faith, a faith, a faith. You know, who's... Anyway. The right, the, through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God is not ours by faith. It is ours through faith. We do not... Earn righteousness by our faith, but we receive righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. So there's a real distinction there. It's not because I have faith I am righteous. I have faith in righteousness. No, it's I have faith in Jesus Christ. Because I have faith in Jesus Christ, then I receive righteousness. It's not, we can't bypass, because it says in the Bible that I am the way, the truth, and the life. None come into the Father apart from me, through me. Jesus. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to God apart through Jesus Christ. Jesus came to earth as almost like a, a pathway, almost like a, all right, Jesus is here on earth to show us who God is, is the, is the image of the invisible. So Jesus has come to earth, lived a life of perfection, of righteousness, so we can see who God is, but we can have a pathway to God the Father. So I am the way, the truth, and the life. None come unto the Father, apart through me. So through faith in Jesus Christ, through faith points to the fact that faith is not a merit earning salvation. It is no more than the means through which the gift is given. You know that your faith will not make you love God more than you already loved. Your faith, your, maybe, here's, here's another thing. Your understanding of theology of the Bible, your ability to keep, keep a clean house, doesn't mean God will love you more. Nothing. You, imagine, imagine that you are the worst person on earth. Imagine that you have done the most terrible thing ever. And I don't know where your head is going or what you're thinking about. At no point in time will you be able to make God love you more than he does at that lowest point. God will not love you if you start listening to Hillsong more. God will not love you more if you start coming to church more. Because we know that's true for some people who aren't here today. God will not love you. Sass. God will not love you more 
God will not love you more than he already does. Because I don't know about you, but to lay down your life for someone is a pretty big example of love. It says in the Bible, greater love uh, is, there's no greater love than this than a man lays down a life for another. So the fact that Jesus, the image of God, the image of the invisible, has laid down his life is a pretty big statement basically saying that God loves us. So faith is not something that we can earn. So it doesn't help us earn something. It's something that basically leads us to the person who earned our salvation for us. So for there is no distinction, it says at the end of this, Basically saying that there is, there's no difference between people. There's no distinction between people. I'm a pastor. You might not be a pastor. We are loved the same. We are all the same. Like, there's nothing. There's no distinction between us. We are all needing of salvation through grace. And by faith. Ephesians 2.8 For we are all saved by grace through faith. This is not of our own doing but it is a gift of God. It says in verses 23 to 24 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What do you think of when you think of the word justified? It's like I'm justified for um, posting that on your Facebook wall. You, what you did to me was pretty insane. What you said about my friend justifies me texting this to you. Now, justification, we have to realise that justification is actually legal language. It's not emotive language, it's legal language. That someone has been justified from the law or has been justified in the court of law. So when we say that we are justified by his grace as a gift... Paul is developing his teaching about salvation. And what's that word? The theology of salvation? Soteriology. You sound so smart, everyone. It's amazing. But justification is an image from the court of law. And then it says later on, redemption. Redemption is an image. Get this. From And this is all contextual to the time that was written. Redemption is a language that was um, an image from the slave market. So this is where it's actually uh, uh, attributed to. And propitiation, which is what we see in the next one. Propitiation is an image from the world of religion where it's an appeasement or appeasing of God through sacrifice. So we've got three words here. Justification, redemption, and propitiation. Justification solves the problem of a man's guilt before a righteous judge. Redemption solves the problem of man's slavery to sin. Uh, to the world and the devil, and propitiation solves the problem of offending our Creator. So all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This universal statement is answered by a universal offer to be justified freely by His grace. It is open to everyone who will believe. There's a, a, a quote here by a man named uh, Morris. Well, his last name is Morris. The harlot, the liar, the murderer are short of it, but so are you. Perhaps they stand at the bottom of a mine and you stand on the crest of an alp, but you are as little able to touch the stars as they. Everyone falls short. 
but everyone could be justified freely by his grace. You know, this whole picture, I don't know what, what that does to you when, when you look at like a, a law court that this changes and becomes legal language. But it's basically this, the salvation for us needs to be um, dealt with on different levels. God is not stupid, but neither is Satan. So when sin came into the world, it entrapped us in many different ways. And so when we come, the justification, the legal language that says that by the law, which is the law of all that we talked about, but now the law, which needed someone to keep all the laws correctly for it to be fulfilled, not abolished, we'll go into that later, for it to be fulfilled and completed so it could basically get to the end of a video game and say, it's been done. It's like, the law has, someone has kept all the laws from the beginning of their life to the end of their life. That means that the law is now breakable. It's like Neo, it's like the one, we found the one, the one who can break the machine. There's a matrix, matrix reference. That we found the one who can break the machine. So Jesus, is the one who kept the law. Therefore, Jesus can now take from the, um, what was in the past, the way that we connected with God, he now brings us into this new way that we can connect with God and through faith in him. But he justifies us because he's gone before God the judge and he stood there and the judge has said, you are not guilty, you are innocent, you are free from slander, you're free from tarnish. You are pure. And so that means that we are justified by God. We're justified by his grace. And grace is unmerited favor. Who's ever, like I said, who's ever felt in a situation that's like, I just don't deserve this. I don't deserve what you're giving to me. I don't deserve this, this love, this generosity. I don't deserve it. That is Grace. Unmerited favor, there's something, you don't deserve it. But we've been given it freely. And just to, just to clarify something, what's the first thing that pops in your head when you think of the word free? Yell it out, what's the first thing that pops in your head? Shopping, Shopping. what else? Anyone, food, free food? What's the first thing? When you think of free, what? Does, it, does your mind go like my mind and says, uh, that must mean that it's cheap or it's not needed anymore or that it's, there's excess of it so they'll give away? Freely does not mean that it is cheap. It does not mean that it is discounted because grace cannot be discounted. Grace does not come at a half-off price. We are justified freely as pr- probably the most uh, striking use of the, uh, the, uh, the Greek word Dorean, which is the freely, is in John fifteen twenty five. They hated me without a cause, even as there was nothing in Jesus deserving of, of hatred, so there's nothing in us deserving of justification. All the reasons are in God. There is, they freely hated him. They freely hated him. And it's this, this thing where it's like, it doesn't come without... It doesn't come with a discount. It is its fullness. The grace is full. It is amazing. 
amazing grace. So this grace comes through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And like I was saying, redemption actually comes from the slave market. And the, the, the idea around redemption is actually um, talking about the, the idea of buying something back and it involves cost. So what we look at is that Jesus has justified us. He has redeemed us, so he has brought us back. But what was the cost that he paid? His life. So we've been justified. We've said, you are good. God has paid the fine. And we've been redeemed. He's paid the cost for us. And only redemption is found in Jesus Christ. And only Jesus Christ leads us to God. The word translated redemption has its origin describing the release of prisoners of war on payment of a price and was known as the ransom. It's... It's basically saying that we, we had a ransom over our lives. Sacrifice. And this is what was practiced in the law. The law required sacrifice. And so what would happen is they would, um, God gave us a way to provide that sacrifice. And that was through animal sacrifice. I don't know how you feel about that. We don't do that in this church. But it was, what was necessary at the time was animal sacrifice, the, the shedding of a pure, uh, pure lamb, the blood of a pure lamb to basically appease the, um, this the, uh, to give us that redemption and to give us that um, no, sorry, the propitiation rather which we'll get into in a second but we've been bought by the blood of Jesus uh, by the sacrifice of Jesus but it says whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justify of the one who has faith in Jesus like I was saying propitiation means substitute substitute sacrifice you know Who's ever seen that uh, the movie where it's like a Spartacus? And it's like, who's Spartacus? And then everyone's like, oh no, Spartacus is going to get in trouble. Oh, don't tell him. Oh no, don't tell him where Spartacus is. And Spartacus is building up the courage to stand up. And then all of a sudden, someone's like, I'm Spartacus. And they're like, oh, that's Spartacus over there. The arm of the guard. And then all of a sudden, another person stands up and says, No, I am Spartacus. And then all of a sudden, everyone's just standing up and saying, I'm Spartacus. I'm Sp-. And that was different. That was to deceive them. But this is like, I'm Spartacus. They were substituting themselves in on behalf of Spartacus to say that you mean so much, I'm going to give myself up on your behalf. So the propitiation... The substitute sacrifice that we have in Jesus basically says that Jesus has come as our substitute sacrifice for the judgment of God against sin is now poured out on Jesus Christ. He is the propitiation. His sacrifice brings redemption to our life. The classic, the word in its classical form was used of the act of appeasing the Greek gods by a sacrifice. In other words, the sacrifice was offered to buy of the anger of God. So what's happened here is that Jesus has stepped in that place. He's, he has been our justifier, our redeemer, and he's come and he's been the propitiation in our place. He's been the substitute sacrifice. And what we have to look at is that God has passed over sins. 
God in his forbearance has passed over the sins of the Old Testament. And he's held off his anger and uh, his, his judgment until the time of the cross. And basically at the cross, everything was dealt with. It's basically like you've, you've held back. Like, who's ever like, like just had to go and clean room? Who's ever had to like, you've, you've just put all your junk in one room. And then you're just like, all right, it's, it's Versailles collection now. I need to get rid of all this junk in one room. All the sins of the world was put into this one room. And then all of a sudden, Versailles collection, Jesus down on the cross, come and grab all the stuff, the old stuff of the world, all the old sins, and basically chucked it on the floor outside for Jesus to deal with. Jesus has dealt with the sins of the old, for the saints of the old, and for the future, past, present, future. He's basically saying that because of Jesus, we are set free, we are justified, we are legally unbound by sin. I don't know about you, but I, th- I think that's good news. Yeah. I, think that's, I think that's important. I think it's important for us to understand it's not just a, uh, like, oh, I feel, I feel like I need redemption. I feel like, oh, I get this warm feeling. But then we go away and we're like, uh, I'm still struggling with the things of my past. We've, God has actually said that we can be redeemed so we've been brought back, but it doesn't mean that we don't um, that we stay the way that we were when we were in slavery to sin. It means that we live a new life, a new humanity. We grow, we mature, and we develop because we do not have any chains that are holding us back anymore. So, so that Jesus might be that he might be the just and justifier of those, the one who has faith in Jesus at the cross. God demonstrated his righteousness by offering man justification, basically a legal verdict of not guilty, while remaining completely just because the righteous penalty of sin had been paid at the cross. If God did not deal with sin, if God had just said, oh, no, that's good, no, just let it go, God could not be just. He had to deal with it. He had to deal with it because that would not make him holy. It would not mean he, cannot, mean he could not save us. So the only way that he could save us was to deal with it by sending his son, Jesus, to the cross. And I don't know about you if you've got kids here, but I would not send Charlie to a cross for any of you. Not in a heartbeat, eh? Or not even over a period of time. I, I just love... I love that kid too much. But he sent his son to the cross, and that's why we celebrate Easter. But it wasn't Jesus getting sent. As he talks about in the old Bible, it says, here I am, send me. So the son was like, yeah, I'm down for it. I'm God, I'm down for this. Let's bring, let's bring the children of humanity home. It's easy to see how someone could only be just simply send every person to separate him from God as a just judge would do. It's easy to see how someone say could only uh, to see how someone could only be the justifier. Simply tell every sinner, "I declare a pardon." You are all declared not guilty. But only God could find a way to be both the just and the justifier. Mm. Only God could find it, and He found it in in Jesus. Yeah. Jesus is very important to our faith. 
Jesus is very important because without Jesus, we can't receive the redemption, the justification, the propitiation. Without Jesus, we can't receive the fullness of salvation. But it was God, it was his plan, God's plan, three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We talked about praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. God was behind this plan to redeem us, to bring us home, 